Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you're near someone, close enough to someone, reach out and grab their hand. Jesus said, if two of us in the earth would agree as touching anything we ask, it would be done for us by our Father which is in heaven. And so, Father, as we touch and agree, we're praying that you will open our eyes to see truth as never before. That you would light a flame of your spirit within our hearts that will drive us to run with perseverance this race that you have set before us. That we will keep our eyes upon what our Savior, the Lord Jesus, has done. You will establish through prayer and faith dominion in the lives of those that we touch that they will find their place in your plan and that your glory would be revealed in our midst father thank you for the opportunity that we have to stand in faith and to serve serve you and serve this generation and faith we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. 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 Well, you may be seated, be seated in the name of the Lord. Uh, hallelujah. Praise God for your pastor and, uh, and for the first lady and for all of you for pressing out in this cold weather. It is warming up a little bit though. Life is but a minute. Only 60 seconds in it. Forced upon you can't refuse it. Didn't seek it, didn't choose it. But it's up to you to use it. You will suffer if you lose it give an account if you abuse it just a tiny little minute but eternity is in it Amen. I'm here just really to challenge you to be the best that you can be uh, I recognize that there are many believers that join themselves to Christ as I did out of the guilt of sin go to an altar and weep and wail. And many, and I've been pastoring for almost 50 years, and many, well, I'm, I don't pay any attention to what I just said, because I'm only 39. But, <laughs> but um, I've seen many take their gift of salvation no, no further than standing at an altar or kneeling at a mourner's bench or going into a prayer room, receiving Christ, being baptized, and sit on their blessed assurance and ride the pew on into the kingdom. I'm not trying to unsave you. 
Because I believe what the word says, that we're saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It's a gift from God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But then verse 10 of chapter 2 of Ephesians says, for we are his workmanship. Come on, look at somebody say, you are his workmanship. I say, we are his workman, workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has before, really before the foundation of the world, ordained to do, ordained for us to do. Uh, you can be saved without doing any of the work. But you are not going to experience the fullness of all that God has promised unless you roll up your spiritual sleeves and get about the Father's business. Amen. I must be about my Father's business. And I've, I've wrestled over uh, what to say, what, what challenge to give you. And um, so would you turn with me to a passage of scripture that I preached many times, but it always comes out differently. It's found in the Old Testament book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a prophet in the exile. The Lord called him as he was in exile. And um, in chapter 22, Ezekiel speaks a challenging word. Ezekiel 22, notice verse 30. If this was in the New Testament, this would be in red letters. Uh, you know, you know uh, if Jesus was speaking uh, in the red letter editions of the Bible, in the Gospels, or even there are a few places in the epistles where they quote him, and it's in red letters. Um, this would be, since this is the Lord speaking, this would be in red letters. He says in verse 30, I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. Bow your head, close your eyes. Pray this prayer. Open my eyes that I may see. Glimpses of truth thou hast for me. Place in my hand the wonderful key that will unlock and set me free. Silently now I wait for thee and that doesn't mean you can't say amen, but say it again. Silently now I wait for thee. Ready, my God, thy will to see. Open my eyes, illumine me. Spirit divine, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at the text, and I trust you have your Bible open and you have... Um, uh, you know, I've memorized 
a lot of scripture. And so as the Lord brings it, uh, I'll, I'll share a text or two and we'll jump uh, to some other places as well. But look at the end. He says uh, that I might not destroy it, but I found none. I found none. That I might, in other words, I, I'm looking, I'm looking for something, someone really, male or female. He says, I look for a man, but but you sisters are included. He said, I'm looking for someone among them that would do a couple of things that are very important. And, and I, I I don't want to destroy them, but I, so I'm looking. If I can find someone that I might not destroy them, but but unfortunately he found none. Now, now the question that I ask is, how could he say I found none when he has Ezekiel? I'm glad you asked the question. Let me answer it. <laughs> He had Ezekiel as a prophet to the nation, but he needed more than a prophet to the nation. He needed more than a pastor to a congregation. He needed persons that would be among folk that they knew. Let me tell you a story. I, uh, back in the day when I first went to Boston to pastor the church, of God there, uh, it was a small church. Only 41 members voted on me to be the pastor. And, um, and I was just in my first pastorate. I was in my mid-20s, 26 years old, married with two children, one on the way. And, um, and I, just, I was just excited. I, I, I knew God wanted me to pastor that church. It wasn't that the, the door was open and and they issued a call just happenstantially. No, no, I, I went there knowing that they didn't have a pastor. Uh, they had asked me to come. I was preaching at the youth convention in 1971 in Detroit and, and the church from Boston was there. They had taken a bus through Canada and had come to Detroit and Cobra Hall, whatever was there. And we had a tremendous convention and uh, they, they saw my name on the program, and Sister Brown, who, who was Alan Turner's mother, if you are familiar, Church of God, Alan Turner, pianist, organist, West Middlesex, she, she saw my name on the program. She said, oh, my God, let's go hear this young man. Let's make sure, you know, you know how the saints would they go to a convention and they don't attend every service. They may have missed, they may have missed the service where I was preaching. So she said to all of the Boston saints, listen, let's make sure we hear this young man. He may be our next pastor. And one of the leaders, a man by the name of Leland Callender, who was not only a trustee, but a deacon in the church, he came up to me and said, uh, if we send you a round trip ticket, would you come to Boston and preach? I was living in Chicago at the time, actually north of Chicago and, and Evanston. And uh, would you would you come and preach for us if we send you a round trip ticket? And I thought to myself, I'll go to hell and preach if you send me a round trip ticket. <laughs> I 
Yeah, I, I, I've, I've, been, I've been to churches that only send me a one-way ticket. I got there and I had to get home the best way I could. So round trip ticket? Yeah, I said, sure, sure, I'll come. And they did. I had a trimester break, jumped on a plane, O'Hare Airport, flew into Parsons Logan Airport. Somebody picked me up, took me to a storefront church in the south end of Boston. Project dwellings in three different directions. Y'all familiar with projects? Yeah. <laughs> Trash everywhere. Of course, the street sweepers didn't come through that part of town. I said to myself, I'm going to get whatever little offering they give me. Because <laughs> this, was, this was Saturday. You know, I flew in on a Saturday to preach Sunday. And I preached a Sunday morning and a Sunday evening service. I knew that that's what I was there to do. And uh, Monday morning, I was going to fly back to my wife and family with my offering, hopeful, with whatever it was. <laughs> and, I mean, true story. And so I, there, I even had my robe. I brought a robe with me. Yeah. I was off to the side of a building where the side where I was standing on was dilapidated and, and you know, it wasn't a place where you would go for anything. They had a bathroom that was in a basement. I thought maybe I should go before I step out onto the podium. But I opened the door and I could smell the bathroom that was in the basement. I said, you know, I think I'm gonna hold whatever I had. <laughs> I stepped out on the pulpit on, on, on to the podium. And, you know, it was a very traditional setting where they had three chairs. The one in the center had a higher back. I sat in the middle chair. I the preacher for this moment. And as soon as my buttocks hit the chair, the Lord spoke to me. Because I'd already told him, I'm going to get whatever they give me, and I'm going out of here. I ain't coming to this raggedy place. But as soon as I sat down, the Lord spoke to me, and he said, you can do something with these people. When I got back to O'Hare, my wife picked me up at the airport with the two kids, and she said, what did the Lord say? I said, it looked like we're going to Boston. It's something to really hear God, to know where you're supposed to be, what you're called to do. And I've been there since I got out of seminary. I finished my first year in seminary, and I, I, I made my way to Boston and been there ever since. Pastoring in church, pastored that church for 10 years, took them as far as they let me take them. Let me repeat that. I took them as far as they let me take them. They got to a place where they were saying, we've gone far enough with you. I separated myself from them, loved them, went downtown, started all over again. Amen? 
I heard God. Come on, tell somebody, say, say to somebody, you need to hear God. You need to know that God has you here, wherever you are, wherever here is for you, whatever your job is, whatever your background is, whoever your parents were, whoever your friends are, that God has you where you are to do a work for him. The text says, the Lord is looking to save the world. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. And Jesus, leaving the ivory palaces of glory, gave his life to save the world. Amen. Now you got some folk that believe in inclusion that because Jesus died on the cross, everybody's going to be saved. Uh, but that's not what the text says. That whosoever believeth. I'm trying to save folk who don't believe. You'll have hell in heaven. Amen. Amen. Uh, this idea that God is going to force people to be saved, that's not, that's not Bible. If the Lord was in the business of forcing folk to be saved, why didn't he force the angels that rebelled? Hell is prepared for them. It wasn't prepared for you and me, but you'll go there. Amen. Somebody said, God ain't sinning. No, God of love not sending anybody to hell. Really, he's not sending you. Kind of reminds me of a story I shared earlier uh, with when I was in 10th grade biology. I sat in the back. I was going to do the lessons and work. I got good grades, but uh, I sat with some friends that I knew weren't going to do anything. And Mrs. Gadlock came in. I remember her. She stood over six feet tall. She weighed over 200 pounds, and she wasn't fat. And sister, the reputation about Mrs. Gadlock is that one of the dudes who had a process with a rag tied on his head <laughs> disrespected her, and she knocked that Negro out. <laughs> uh, that's back in the day when teachers... She knocked him out. And the word went out over Germantown High School. You don't want to mess with Sister Gadlock. Sister Gadlock was bad. And when she walked in, she closed the door. She said, be quiet. And everybody got quiet. Even, I mean, the dudes. You know, that they walk. <laughs> And they was even sitting, leaning while they, they don't even have a car, but they leaning. <laughs> she said, she started off her lecture. She said, you may have heard that I flunk a lot of people. And I was sitting in the back and I looked at my boys and they were, she said, I want you to know that I have never 
in all of the years that I've been teaching 10th grade biology, I've never flunked anyone. And you could literally see brothers who weren't going to study say, it's almost like they were on the edge of their seat and then they just relaxed. Oh, thank you. If, if, if they were saved, they would say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> then just about the time they got good and comfortable, she said, if you flunk, it'll be over every effort I have intellectually, motivationally, to get you to a place where you can learn what I'm trying to teach you. But if you flunk, won't be because I flunked you, because you flunk yourself. And there are people who are gonna, they're gonna bust hell wide open. But it won't be because God is not a good God. It's because they refuse to believe, refuse to have faith and to walk in truth. The Lord said, I looked for someone among them. That, that's your first qualification. God is looking for you. I don't know if you, if you consider yourself worthy to be looked for, but God is looking for you. Even though you don't pray a whole lot, even though you don't know your Bible all that well, even though you just barely saved yourself, God is looking for you. And he outlines what he expects you to have. He said, I look for someone among them. Your first is to be someone who knows other someones. Amen. Is there anybody in here that is disqualified in that? I mean, you know, I know that there are such a, such a thing as hermits who live alone, who don't touch bases with anyone. They don't grab hands. They don't slap high five. They, these folk don't have a TV. They don't have a telephone. I remember when I went to a funeral in, in Virginia and, and the brother of the man who died, his, he was actually the oldest brother of my father-in-law. My wife's father died. I was, of course, at the funeral. And his oldest brother came to the funeral. He didn't come dressed in a suit. His shoes had holes in them. His clothing had holes in them. And he came in old. He looked like he hadn't had a bath in a while. His hair was disheveled. And he sat in his brother's funeral. When we rode out past where he lived, it was a shack in the woods. It was off the highway. You could see it. They pointed it out. Said, that's where Uncle whatever lives. Are the people like that? Yeah, yeah, there are. 
but you looking too good to be considered one of those. You qualify as someone among them. I don't know who your them are. I don't know how many there are. Some of us are really gregarious. I mean, uh, that's me. That's me. I had a lot of friends. You, you know what I'm saying? I, I had a lot of friends. When I, when I got to the party, they would holler. <laughs> you know, some people come to the party and they just say, when they see you, they should go. When I got to the party, they would, they would say, oh, yo, yo, dude, come on, come on. And I, it's long before I was called to preach before any of this. He, get up, get up, and make us laugh. And so I would stand up there. I once met a chick who was keen and slick. To date her would have been a treat. She said, you are ugly, and I only date men who are handsome and neat. All men are brothers under the skin, I said. Of this, there is no doubt. She said, well, go back under your skin, my friend and send your brother out. <laughs> yeah, I was a clown. But do you understand that even some of what God wanted me to do was there even in my sins? First girlfriend, I told her, no, I don't believe in that love stuff. I mean, I just don't feel that. You know what I'm saying? I know I, you are special, but, you know, I'm not going to just tell you that I love you. I was setting her up so that when I did say, Shh, uh, oh, girl, <laughs> I've, nev I've never said this before. <laughs> I don't know what this feeling is. I think it's love. She was like, oh. I was a scoundrel. I was a liar. And the Lord saved me. I was someone who was out there with a lot of people among me. I was in their presence. I was at their parties. They knew my name. I was someone among them. Amen. Amen. I had two brothers. I was among them. I had a mother and a father that lived together. Beat my behind. I was among them. I had cousins. My mother was one of nine siblings. She was number six. I was among them. And when the Lord saved me, I determined that none of my siblings would be lost. And both my older brother and my younger brother are saved. Amen. Because they had a brother that was among them. I determined that none of my cousins would be lost. I had a cousin, he was, he was 
the oldest son of my mother's younger sister. My mother was number six. My Aunt Dimples was number seven. And Jerry and I went to the Church of God together because our grandfather, my mother's parents, were Church of God. I grew up in the high street, Church of God. Jerry went to Sunday school, Church of God. But when he grew up and married and got a, and never got saved, got away from church and everything else, you can see him with a large straw hat. You can see him coming because he walked a certain way. Owned a bar, drank and smoked. He wasn't about anything. Amen. Some of you know some folk like that. So I started praying for Jerry that he would be saved. And one early morning prayer meeting, I've been praying for him off and on whenever he'd come to mind because he lived in Philly and I lived in Boston and I'm a pastor and so I have other things that I'm dealing with and praying for. But then I, when I made the commitment to pray for my family to make sure that they were saved, on one occasion, I prayed, knowing Jerry is a smoker and a drinker, he's divorced from his wife, he owns a bar. I said, Lord, next time Jerry lights up a cigarette, make him so sick that he'll have to go to the emergency room. Yeah. Well, the Bible says whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So I asked the Lord to do that. And the next time I was in Philadelphia preaching for Brother Shepherd, his sister who saved heard I was going to be at that service and she came to that Wednesday night prayer meeting. And afterwards, Peggy walked up to me and said, guess what, cuz? I said, what, what, Peg? Jerry, stop smoking. I said, oh, she didn't know how I prayed. I said, well, praise the Lord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lit up a cigarette and got so sick he had to go to the emergency room. <laughs> See, you're among them and you don't know what authority you have in prayer. Stop smoking. Threw away his cigarettes. Came out, went to the emergency room. They checked him out. He, they said, you're okay. You know, he came out of there, took that pack of cigarettes, threw them away. I said, all right, now, Lord, I got him. He's not smoking. Now, he's living with his girlfriend. They're not married. Caused her to kick him out. Next thing I knew, <laughs> Jerry had moved out of his girlfriend's apartment and moved in with his oldest daughter who was saved. Amen. And she watching Christian television. Look, he's a saint. He, he getting closer and closer. When Jerry gave his life to the Lord, I heard about it all the way in Boston. I threw my son in the car, one of my sons. I got five of them. I threw the youngest one in the car. We drove to Philadelphia. He married the girlfriend. 
he preached his trial sermon. I would have been there, but I was out of the country. And when I got to his house, his apartment, his wife was sitting there beside the bed in a chair. I sat at the end of the bed so I could look him in his face with my son. And if he cried one time, he cried at least a half a dozen times, saying, I can't believe, I can't Lord, save me, God. Lord, save me, man. He saved me, man. I said, glory to God. He's in bed because he needed a heart transplant. He didn't get it. And he's gone to be with the Lord. I'll see him on the other side. See, the Lord said, I'm looking, I'm searching for someone among them. There are people who are lost that will be saved if they just had the right loved one among them. Amen. I search for someone among them. All right, you qualify. Come on. If you don't qualify, raise your hand. Okay. All right. So all of y'all qualify. Number two, he says, I want you to do two things. I want you, these people that I'm looking for, I want them, number one, to build up a wall. So I don't know anything about building a wall. No, no. Yes, you do. It's just building a barrier around them. It's covering them. It's you speaking words of love, words of life, words of truth to them. When you're doing that, you're building a wall of truth, a wall of salvation around them. They will go to bed and the Lord will bring back to their remembrance the things that you've said. Why? Because you love them. Because you, you, you're not beating them over the head with the scriptures. You know, y'all are sitting having a cup of coffee. Maybe you, you just watched a movie. You coming at, well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Y'all may not go to movies. But you, 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 you're doing something that you, that it's okay. You're just hanging out. That's your cousin. That's your brother. That's your friend. Y'all graduated from high school together. Maybe you're a part of the same kind of club. Or maybe you live near one another. Whatever it is. You're spending some time with them, and while they're at a place where they're laughing, you can share a testimony. Especially if they offer to do something, you say, oh, man, you know I don't do that anymore, man. Used to. I used to go there, but I don't do that. All right, all right, all right, stop, stop testifying, stop testifying. I mean, you may even get to the place where you can sing to them. I believe I'll testify while I have a chance. You are someone that's getting them used to hearing truth that will set them free. Amen. It'll get to the place where they'll start to seek you out. They'll, they won't mind being around you. It's not because you're beating them up with the truth. You're just sharing 
out of your own experience, out of your own life. You're building a wall. And that truth, that wall of salvation is keeping stuff out from them. The stuff that they normally experience, they're not experiencing it because you're building a wall. You're sharing truth that is insulating them against what the devil is saying and doing. But then in addition to that, you're doing the second thing. You're standing in the gap. There's a gap between uh, you're building a wall of truth around them and then you're standing in the gap. That's between them and the Lord. You're standing in that open area where you are interceding as a spiritual priest on their behalf. You're crying out to God, save them, Lord. Don't let him, don't let her die in her sins. You're someone who not only knows enough Bible to share truth, but you know enough about prayer to pray them out of darkness into God's marvelous light. And if you're the kind of person that says, I know some people and I don't want them to be lost. I'm so glad someone told me about Jesus. I'm so glad that someone followed me up. So what was done to you, need you need to do to someone else. And it's going to require, it's going to require you memorizing scripture. It's going to require you having a prayer time. It's going to require you maybe even making a list and checking it twice. Trying to find out who's naughty or nice so that you can pray specifically. You can pray against what they're doing. It kind of reminds you of what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, he says, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we actually commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that it cannot see the light of the gospel of Christ through the image of God. We don't preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as their servants for Jesus' sake. For God who caused light to shine out of darkness has shined his light in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the, of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You're going to go through some trouble. You start ministering to people. You start memorizing scripture. You start speaking truth. You start saying to them, but that reminds me of what the word says over there in the book of Revelation. And then you quote a scripture and the person said, come on, man, man, come on. I'm trying to eat my ice cream. <laughs> and you're praying. Condemnation is being heaped on them, not because you are heaping it on them, but the truth is getting through. When they come around, they're going to be thanking God. 
LDB like my cousin saying, hey, I can't believe man. Lord save me, man. Lord save me, man. Praise God. He's with the Lord. It ought to be that when you get on the other side and you're in your mansion, that when some folk hear that you got in, they're going to gather around your mansion and just thank God. Thank you, man, for telling me about Jesus. Thank you for following me up. Thank you for staying there, getting me to repent, to pray, to seek God's face. God's looking for you. And it's rewarding work. I'm done. I'm done. It's rewarding work. Let me, let, me, let me get you straight. If you start to do this work, that was going to fight you. He, he leaving you alone because you ain't doing nothing but sitting on your blessed assurance. But if you get up off of your blessed assurance and start praying, start sharing, start using scripture, you're going to be like what Paul said. I was hard pressed on every side but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. I was the kind of person that was always bearing about in my body the death of the Lord Jesus, that his life might be revealed in my mortal body. You know what that is? That's resurrection life, where the enemy is trying to kill you, but you keep getting resurrection life. Because every time you get someone to see truth, you're energized. And do you know this? That there are people that die before their time. And my, my understanding, hey, I may be wrong. But my understanding is that, hey, Lord, might as well go on taking them home because they're not doing anything. <laughs> they're not winning anyone. They're not following anybody up. They're not really praying. But the Lord will leave you here. Because, no, 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 I can't take him. You know, the, you know did one say, you want me to go get him, Lord? Oh, he's way, he's up there. I mean, he's, he's got the three score and ten. And he's got another ten more. Hey, he's in his 80s now. You, you want me to go get him? No, no, leave him because there's some, he's living in a, he's now, they, they just, his family just put him in an assisted living and there are a bunch of unsaved folk in there. <laughs> you know he's going to witness. I search for someone among them. Someone to build up the wall, to stand in the gap before me for the land. That I might not destroy it. But I found none. Is there somebody in your family? Is there somebody in your neighborhood? Is there someone that you are among? And God is counting on you to be used. Every head bowed, every eye closed.
Here's what's going to happen. I want to get you ready because here's what's going to happen. This matter of being baptized with the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues, turning your plate down and fasting. You know where that comes? Yo, dude, what's with all this? What you trying to do? There are people in my life that I need to go the extra mile to, to win them. I need more authority. I need more power with God. You start turning your plate down and start seeking the Lord's face. Start running with perseverance this race. The Lord will start speaking to you. He'll give you authority when you pray. You'll see some things and understand some things. As you draw near to him and he draws near to you. You will find your place in his plan. And God will begin to move sovereignly and supernaturally in you and through you. While your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if you are here and you're saying, I want that, I want God to use me. I want when I get to the other side, I want to hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't want to just get to heaven and when the Lord sees me, he said, all right, come on in here. Good thing you got saved because there ain't nobody else saved because of you. You want to be someone that the Lord and all of heaven rejoices. Because you are not just saved. You were a warrior for God. You were rescuing the perishing, caring for the dying. You are going out of your way to pray, to seek God's face, to be used by him. Is that you? Are you saying, Lord, I, I can do better? Maybe you are doing something, but the Lord's saying you can be even more used than you are. Is that you? Just stand right where you are. Let's pray together. As I sat and listened to Pastor David share in this offering and all, the vision that the Lord gave me is a vision of hundreds of people the gift that this man of God is needs to be seen before this city and this region. It begins, it begins small, yes. My wife and I went to Boston in 1972 and and Sowed, the Lord sowed us as seeds to a small congregation. 
that had never had a young pastor, had never had an educated pastor, had never had someone who was hungry to do the will of God. I actually pushed them too far. Too, I pushed them too fast. That's what pushed, caused me to separate from them. I repented. I went back. I, I, I asked them to forgive me. But to see what God wants to do through you. Would you open your eyes? Ask the Lord. Come on. Ask the Lord. One of the things start doing. Let me give you an assignment. Get a bottle of oil, small bottle of olive oil. Maybe you can get actually a large bottle of olive oil and pour some of it into a small bottle that you'll only use for anointing and bring it to your pastor and have him pray over it. And every day, just put a little bit in your hand. Just turn it. Just put a little bit in your hand. Not a lot. You can just put, put, put your finger over it. If it's a small bottle, put a little bit in your hand. Rub your hand together in the name of Jesus. Anoint your eyes. Oh, God, open my eyes today. Show me the loss today. Anoint your mouth. Oh, God, give me. There was a church of God mother that told me, do that every day, son. I tell you, did it this morning. I'm going to do it tomorrow. I got oil in, in my hotel room. Lord, use me. Anoint your head. God, anoint my mind. Anoint my thinking. The world is lost. Oh, God, use me. Life is but a minute, only 60 seconds in it. It's forced upon you. Can't refuse it, didn't seek it, didn't choose it. But it's up to you, and you can use it. Don't suffer and lose it. Don't get to a place where you have to give an account because you've abused it. It's a tiny little minute, but eternity is in it. Be a warrior. When you anoint yourself, set aside a time to pray. Do you notice I said set aside a time? I'm not saying, uh, I just make up your mind, I'm going to pray before this day is out. You know, it'll be at the end of the day. No, set aside a time. Prioritize prayer. Get up a little bit earlier. Spend some time. Don't listen, listen. If you're older, don't get on your knees. <laughs> you may get down there and can't get back up. Listen, listen. Just, just get get a place where you can walk. Everybody knows the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Everybody knows that. Divide it up into sections. Start with worship. Hallowed be thy name. 
What names do you know? Just praise him. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's your provider. Thank him and praise him for what he's provided. Are you hearing me? Start it and watch God open the windows of heaven. He'll bring into your, into your sphere of influence people that need to know a real Christian. Someone who's reading the Bible. Someone who's praying. Pray this. Father, in the name of Jesus, I open wide my heart for you to use me even supernaturally. I say yes to your will. Yes to your way. Yes to the Lordship of Christ. Not just for salvation, but for the leading of your spirit. You said in your word, as many as are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. I desire to be related to you. Use me. Fill me with your spirit. Anoint me to break yokes of bondage in the lives of those who are bound and lost. In faith, I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Now tomorrow at nine o'clock, and, and we're gonna start on time. So if you come late, you'll, you'll just be, you'll get part of it. But I'm gonna teach. The outline is entitled, A Prayer Warrior. Because if you're going to make an impact, you're going to need to know how to pray. Really. Because when the Lord starts using you, the enemy's going to fight you. And you, you have a weapon. It's the sword of the spirit. It's the word of God. And Lord's going to take you from where you are to where you need to be. The devil will run against you one way, but he'll flee from you seven ways especially as you are used of God to bring about resurrection life in the lives of those who are dead in their sins. Come on, praise God. Praise God.